Well, I guess we could have done this in the living room, but anyhow, here we are. You never know how many of us there are going to be, right? Let's kick off in 2 Kings chapter 7. As a setting, if you will, a backdrop. Fairly famous evangelism passage, I suppose. Certainly it's known. So they've they've got something of a famine going on. Uh, In chapter 6, it's pretty horrendous. The state of need. Um, Woman complaining to the king that they... Her and her neighbor agreed that they would eat your baby today and my baby tomorrow kind of thing. And they ate the one baby and then the next day the woman refused and this lady felt you reneged on your agreement. She cries out to the king for justice. How severe must a famine be for a mother to be willing to eat her baby? Right? That's the setting. Uh, uh, The famine in the land of Israel for the wickedness of the king and, uh, and the nation. And here we are, the king now, as is commonly the case, nothing, some things never change, blames it on the faithful servant of the Lord, Elisha. They did that, um, the Roman emperor did that in the first century, Blaming the calamities of the empire on the Christians to raise persecution, to distract. The gods are unhappy because we're allowing these Christians. Um, scapegoating. Then, uh, so he sends a messenger to, to kill Elijah. Elisha, I beg your pardon. Then Elisha said, Hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, Tomorrow about this time shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. How big's a measure? It would have been the standard, most common one. Um, which I don't, uh, I don't remember. I, sh- I have a big Bible with margins and I've done research on all those things and I have them in the back noted. But it would have been the standard unit of scooping them out. And a shekel, oh dear, it's, I think it's like one-sixtieth of a minha, which is one-hundredth of a talent. Anyway, it's a small unit. Uh, It's by weight. It's a weight of silver, a weight of gold. It's pretty small. And so basically, food's going to be cheap. Uh, Up the page, or in the previous chapter, the fourth part of a cab of dove's dung for five pieces of silver. Right? So a cab is, I think it's a half pint. So you're going to collect dove's dung, pigeon poop, and you get a half pint amount, and that's going to be five pieces of silver. Remember the Lord, a slave was 30 pieces of silver. One-sixth the price of a human being for the rest of his life. To get a half pint of pigeon doo-doo. 
That's how severe the famine was. And he says, tomorrow, you're going to have a fraction of that price for a full measure of wheat. That's, the, that's going from lean to plenty overnight. That's quite a promise. That is good news. That's gospel. That's the setting. The setting is dearth, de- degradation, depravity. Elijah said, Hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, Tomorrow about this time shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel, and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. Then a Lord, on whose hand the king leaned. This is a man with some authority in the kingdom, and the king relied upon him. It's a figure of speech. I don't think the king was decrepit and he walked around leaning on his hand. This is just a a figure of speech, that he relied on this man like my right-hand man kind of thing. He answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, might this thing be? Like, even if God were to rain down riches of heaven, this is impossible. Here you have the man of God preaching the gospel, and you have the answer of unbelief. And Elisha said, Behold, thou shalt see it with thine eyes, but shall not eat thereof. And here we get now into the evangelism. And there were four leprous men at the entering in of the gate. And they said one to another, Why sit we here until we die? If we say we will enter into the city, then the famine is in the city and we shall die there. And if we sit still here, we die also. Now therefore come and let us fall into the host of the Syrians. If they save us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. And they arose up in the twilight to go unto the camp of the Syrians. And when they were come to the uttermost part of the camp of Syria, behold, there was no man there. For the Lord had made the host of the Syrians to hear a noise of chariots and a noise of horses, even the noise of a great host. And they said one to another, Lo, the king of Israel hath hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. Wherefore they arose and fled in the twilight and left their tents and their horses and their asses, even the camp as it was, and fled for their life. And when those lepers came to the uttermost part of the camp, they went into one tent and did eat and drink and carried thence silver and gold and raiment and went and hid it and came again and entered into another tent and carried thence also and went and hid it. Then they said one to another, We do not well this day. So we do not well. This day is a day of good tidings. And we hold our peace. If we tarry till the morning light, some mischief will come upon us. Now therefore come that we may go and tell the king's household. So they came and called unto the port of the city. And they told them, saying, We came to the camp of the Syrians. And behold, there was no man there. Neither voice of man, but horses tied and asses tied and the tents as they were. And he called the porters and they told it to the king's house within. And the king arose in the night and said unto his servants, I will now show you what the Syrians have done to us. They know that we be hungry. Therefore, they gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the field, saying, when they come out of the city, we shall catch them alive and get into the city. And one of his servants answered and said, let some take, I pray thee, five of the horses that remain, which are left in the city. Behold, they are as all the multitude of Israel that are left in it. Behold, I say, they are even as all the multitude of the Israelites that are consumed. And let us send and see. They took therefore two chariot horses, and the king sent after the host of the Syrians, saying, Go and see. 
And they went after them unto Jordan, and lo, all the way was full of garments and vessels which the Syrians had cast away in their haste. And the messengers returned and told the king. And the people went out and spoiled the tents of the Syrians. So a measure of fine flour was sold for a shekel, and two measures of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. And the king appointed the Lord on whose hand he leaned to have the charge of the gate. And the people trod upon him in the gate, and he died, as the man of God had said, who spake when the king came down to him. And it came to pass, as the man of God had spoken to the king, saying, Two measures of barley for a shekel, and a measure of fine flour for a shekel, shall be tomorrow about this time in the gate of Samaria. And that Lord answered the man of God and said, Now, behold, if the Lord should make windows in heaven, might such a thing be? And he said, Behold, thou shalt see it with thine eyes, but shall not eat thereof. And so it fell out unto him, for the people trod upon him in the gate, and he died. There are numerous gospel passages in the Old Testament. And this one, I, I would be surprised if everybody hadn't heard this preached before. And it wouldn't hurt to remind us that um, this is the position of the evangelist. The true evangelist is one who was desperate and received riches and wants to share it with others. That's a real evangelist. This... Um, <clears throat> This was what Paul said, I, I, um, I deliver unto you that which I first also received. That's what he said. That's what the Lord said to his disciples. Freely you have received, freely give. All right? And blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There's, there's lots here to understand. We're not going to have a... a, a sermon on it. I want us to look at the scriptures ourselves, but let's catch the vision for it, right? There was dire need for the nation, dire need for the population. They were under sentence of death. They had no sustenance. And to them it was prophesied that abundance was coming. And the unbeliever perished. The unbeliever didn't partake. It starts with that and it ends with that. Just to double, to confirm to us the certainty that if you will not believe the gospel, you will not benefit from the riches of God. Now the evangelists were people who had got riches because they were desperate. They were destitute and notice that dilemma. And this sadly is the extremities to which God must bring some people. Remember Isaiah said, I think in chapter 55, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, right? Come and buy wine and milk without money and without price. You know, basically a feast. Of, uh, elsewhere, Isaiah is loaded with rich Im imagery of the gospel message. These men said, look, if we stay here, we're going to die. There's no hope. If we go into the city, we're going to die. So they had nothing to lose. If we go to the Syrians, they kill us, we'll die. So <laughs> that's going to happen anyway. And if we have mercy, we'll live. So that's, that's their position. They are brought to a place of desperation where they were willing to um, launch out. Now, 
this, uh, like the Lord's parables, you know, it has details there. You can't translate every detail. But they came upon riches. Riches more than they needed. Abundance of everything. Food, clothing, and treasures. All things that pertain to life and godliness. And while they're enjoying it and making it their own. This is the point of the hiding. Making it their own. It's not just there. You can read about it. Everything, the riches of Christ. We have to make it our own possession. That's what they're doing. They are there now. They have been made rich. And they are appropriating in real time the riches of God for themselves. And then say, hmm. We're being selfish. And it is not clear whether they think the calamity that will come upon them will be divine justice or if something happens, then the others won't. But it reads, the language reads as if they're worried about divine justice. That we have a duty, and this is what Paul said, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. In the middle of their enjoying, I'm going to bring it into New Testament language, the blessings of Christ, their conscience pricks them and says, what about our fellow perishers? And so they go back and they say, we got good news. There's <laughs> great stuff for you here. And they, they go and check it out. And they, now that word is confirmed and then... Got a revival. But people, everyone's flooding out. Oh, that the Lord would do, do it so. But the evangelists were people, right? So understand what happened. You had the prophecies, the prophet, if you like, the Bible. That foretold this. And you had some who were waiting to see if it would happen. You had one who represents the unbeliever, said there's no way this can be true. Um, but you had those who were partaking of the reality of it come and others came and saw and brought back what they saw. So this is, there are some principles here, right? Uh, the poor in spirit, people who are not proud, people who had nothing of their own, all the wealth and the materials that they had that was given to them. They didn't have it to start, it was given to them. Two, they had made it their own. They had it in reality. Three, they were unselfish. They wanted to share, share the blessing. And four, those that received it actually came and saw with their own eyes the reality of the gospel as it was reported by those who had experienced it. This is the principle we're seeing here. All right, so this is a program for the church. This is, this is us. Go into all the world. That was given to the apostles. Now it was the last commandment. Um, better make sure that we have a whole lot of other commandments in practice before we go and preach. Right? <laughs> I mean some very basics like him that stole, steal no more. And I told you of my friend there with whom I worked who had, whether he earned it or not, I don't know. I don't remember seeing him do it. But this man telling me, yep, you know. So he named him. Bible says, thou shalt not steal. But there he is just eating out of the bulk food bin. How can you preach Christ if your life has such glaring 
blots on it before the unbeliever. You see? So we have to be partaking of the riches. To be to evangelize properly. So that's step one. That is step one to evangelism. Be feasting on Christ. Right? Now, with that background, let's and then share Christ. What we want to look at is who, who does the preaching, and to whom does the preacher preach? The evangelist. Who's the evangelist? And who are those to whom the evangelist goes? The Christian. So that's what we want to look at. Um, what do they do and say? Uh, how do they do and say it? When? In what circumstances? Right? So let's ask ourselves these questions. And there are a lot, a lot of places to, to start. But let's start in John's Gospel. And examine some things. All right. So, uh, John chapter 1. Interesting. I think in the first chapter of John are contained in seed form all the major New Testament doctrines. In the first chapter of John. They're there. I said, I believe in the first chapter of John is contained, at least in seed form, all major New Testament doctrines. The second half of John's chapter 1 is devoted to evangelism. So that's quite an interesting thing to observe. And let's, let's pick it up then. Um, you could ask even, even uh, more than half. Where are we going to start here? All right, John the Baptist is preaching, and he says, I am not the Christ. Verse 26, John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there standeth one among you whom ye know not. He it is who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoes latch it, I am not worthy to unloose. These things were done in Bethabara, beyond Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me. For he was before me, and I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come baptizing with water. And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. And I knew him not. But he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. Verse 35. Again the next day after John stood and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and saw them following, and saith unto them, What seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted, Master, where dwellest thou? He saith unto them, Come and see. 
They came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is, being interpreted, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and findeth Philip and saith unto him, Follow me. Now Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and saith of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. Nathanael saith unto him, Whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Nathanael answered and saith unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. Now, there's a lot there. What I would like to do is just walk us through this passage, pick out points, and then introduce another passage and leave us in our groups to, to extract it based on similar practices. Okay, so let's, let's outline what's happening here. And the scripture is very rich and deep and multifaceted. So one passage has layers of meaning. The prophet Ezekiel likened it unto wheels within wheels. Um, You've got many um, messages within uh, happening there. So let's, uh, let's look at it, shall we? Of course, there's what actually happened, but, and the fulfillment of prophecy and so on, but there are also Um, allegories and metaphors and pictures going on here. So John the Baptist represents the Old Testament scriptures concerning Christ. In fact, we'll remove the word Old Testament, the, the adjective. Just John the Baptist here represents the Old Testament prophecies of Christ, the, the scripture concerning Christ. That's what he represents. <clears throat> the word of God. There is no greater prophet among them that are born of women. That includes Moses, Elijah. There has not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Because John the Baptist introduced Christ to the world. He did no miracle. So this is how, um, remember, (laughs) uh, just to, to, I mean I wasn't going to do this, but just to show you here. John chapter 10. All right. He that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth. Right? He that entereth in by the door, that's all of the prophecies concerning Christ. To him the porter openeth, that's John the Baptist. Right? So John chapter 10 is describing what's happening in John chapter 1. The door where all the prophecies concerning Christ, the porter, the one who kept the door was John the Baptist, and Through that door of fulfilling all of those prophecies, the porter opened the door and announced the shepherd is coming in. 
That's what's going on. All right. Now, what's happening here is you have this um, fulfillment, this scripture concerning Christ. All of them combined. This is the Savior of the world. This is the Son of God. This is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. That's how he's, uh, he's introduced, first of all. Behold the Lamb of God, which take away the sin of the world. He was the one from the beginning. He's anointed with the Holy Ghost. He's going to baptize with the Holy Ghost. And finally, this is the Son of God. So he expounds fully who and what Jesus is. This is the message. This is what John Baptist represents. The full exposition of who Christ is. And the audience are devout people who study the scriptures. This is the beginning of evangelism. We're just looking at how it unfolded in history. Even the prophet Ezekiel, right? Many of the prophets. One says, the law shall go forth from Zion. The word of the Lord from Jerusalem. The gospel of salvation literally started in Jerusalem. And from there throughout the world. Ezekiel's prophecy where the, the, the waters of life came from, under the, uh, from out the temple. That's literally where it started. By the day of Pentecost in the temple. And that's where the gospels preached. People were born again. So here we have John. And he represents the full exposition of Christ. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The eternal pre-existing one. Because remember, chronologically, John was born before Jesus. So the fact that Jesus was before John is a reference to in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. So... He's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He's the pre-existing one who's one with the Father. He is the one that's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost. He is the Son of God. Full, um, full declaration of Christ from the Word of God to devout people who follow the Scriptures. And they, if I can put it in a figure... Get saved. They get born again. They get filled with the Holy Ghost. They have, and this is really what happens, they follow the Word of God. The Word of God points them to Christ, and they follow the Word of God to Christ, and they have a personal encounter with Christ. We're tracing the progress of evangelism. And the first step, we saw it in the Old Testament passage, see it here, is for the devout believers in the Word of God who know who Jesus is, to have a personal encounter with Christ. This is step one in evangelism. It's got to be real. You've got to know a person, not just a creed. That's the thing. And the, Lord, the Lord's going to search us all. What do you want? People who wanted healing, he asked, what will you that I do unto you? And it's not that he doesn't know, but he wants us to say it. Confession is a necessary thing. What seek ye? And they had the right thing. Lord, we want to be with you. This was Simon the magician's problem. He wanted power to do miracles so that he could be esteemed as somebody. He used to be giving out that he himself was a great power of God. And the disciples came and Philip came and preached, made him look like nothing. And he's like, ooh. I want to be able to do that. So people will put me up on a pedestal even higher. You see. Judas wanted the bag. But these men with pure hearts. Lord we just want to be with you. 
This is a beginning, right? This is evangelism, brethren. Before we go rushing out anywhere, we've got to be with Jesus. And we've got to have him examine us and make our motives pure. And it's coming out of fellowship. What seek ye, Rabbi, where dwellest thou? Right? Not just, ooh, I'm going to learn this Bible verse and that Bible verse, and I'm going to beat this one in the argument. I'm going to learn how to beat the Hindus, the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Muslims, and I'm going to just... That's not what they did. That's not how it goes. Just they were with Jesus. Now they abode with him that day. And then what happened? This was Andrew. He findeth first his own brother. The first thing he does is he says, We found the Messiah. And he brought him to Jesus. He brought his brother, his closest acquaintance, who was also devout. Now this is the first place to go. People you have a close, loving, trusting relationship with and who are interested in the things of God. That's your first place to go with evangelism. You have a good relationship, loving, trusting relationship with a kin or friend and they have an interest in the things of God. They say, I've got, I have found what you are looking for. Now it's got to be real, right? These guys, they had the riches, they had the food, they had the clothes, they had made it theirs, they hid some stuff, that's theirs. They have something real to tell people about. Right? Elisha told them this was going to happen in the future. That's the prophets, that's the scriptures. But the evangelist had it in his hand now. And to evangelize others, you and I have to have the reality of Christ within, in our hands, in our lives. The love of God in our hearts. You've got to have the life, the resurrection life of Jesus. You can't be an evangelist and have bitterness against anybody. You've got to have pure charity. All of those things. You've got to be feasting on the good of it. Step one. Step two, we see here, you've got to be with Jesus. Uh, fellowship with him. In real time, current, that's the thing. Before we can go rushing out there, we've got to be abode with him. Lots of time with him, that's the thing. Now from that, the first place, isn't this great? You haven't got to go and run at a, 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 a violent mob. Right out of the gate. Just baby steps. You can go right in the, in the shallows there. He didn't send them. You go and you see that angry mob there. You're going to get clubbed to death. Go and preach to them. No. <laughs> he, first thing he does is he goes and he gets his closest family member. Who he had a good relationship with. Says, and he brings him to Jesus. This was easy. There was no resistance. This was someone looking for the Lord. And you know him. You share him. You got a religious friend that's hungry for God. The way to help him is to have the living Christ to show him. He brought him to Jesus. Isn't that lovely? He didn't argue with him about the Bible. He brought him to Jesus. He introduced him to the Lord Jesus. In our terms, we don't have the Lord here bodily. But if he dwells within our hearts and we know him, we know his word and it's permeates our being let me tell you about the Lord let me tell you who he is let me tell you what he's like you can open up your heart close friend or family member who is interested and desirous of the things of God that's the first field is this self-evident from the text as we look at it 
Not twisting or straining everything, right? So that's the first encounter. He findeth first his own brother Simon. He brought him to Jesus. And what happens to Simon? Simon has his own encounter with Jesus. Born again, right? A new name. You see this in the Revelation. A stone, a new name written on a stone which no man knows. Gives him a new name, Cephas, which means stone. The day following, Jesus would go forth, findeth Philip. Said, follow me. Now, so Philip is someone who providentially, who directly God intervenes in his life and brings salvation. We've heard about, you know, even Muslims having dreams where Christ appears to them. Somebody could be a theologian or somebody reading the word. He has a direct, there's no human intermediary. What's the first thing he does? He finds Nathanael and saith to him, right? Now, is Nathanael his brother? It doesn't seem to say that. Philip was of Bethsaida. He finds Nathanael and saith unto him, we have found him. Now, you see how gracious God is with our language? The reality. Jesus, verse 43, Jesus findeth Philip. And Seth, follow me. That's the reality. Philip's testimony. We have found Jesus. (laughs) Philip thinks he found Jesus. But the reality is Jesus found him. And the Lord doesn't get offended at that. He's gracious with all of that. This is is, uh, where Philip's at. he's, um, He's just delighted we have Jesus. The Lord doesn't quibble with him over that. And Nathanael is skeptical. Nathanael says, this is impossible for these reasons. This can't be. Shall any good thing come out of Nazareth? Okay, now this is something they would say uh, later to um, Nicodemus. Look and see. Nicodemus is defending Jesus just on terms of process. Doth our law Condemn any man before it hear what he saith and know what he doeth. They say, Art thou also of Galilee? Look and see. Out of Nazareth, I think he said Nazareth, ariseth no prophet. So if this is well known, the scriptures indicate no prophet coming from there. And socially, they were the Nufis of Israel. Right? Looked down upon, despised. And so Nathanael says, Right? We found Jesus of Nazareth. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And this is so important. Philip said, come and see. Now, we've got to have something real to show people. On inspection. What does Christianity look like? What does it do for you? Yeah, that's a nice lot of words. How does it look in practice, in real life? How does it work in your marriage? How does it work in your family, in your children, your workplace, in your soul? I've got depression. I've got addictions. I, my marriage is in tatters. My children, you know, hate me. Does your Christian, does your gospel, does your Jesus fix any of those things? Come and see. Come and see what heaven on earth in a marriage looks like. Come and see what a relationship with you children looks like whether they're little teens or grown come and see what jesus does on earth in human hearts come and see how brethren from different backgrounds with different personalities and different temperaments different 
cultures get along in perfect love. Come and see. Right? Is that, am I straining the text, brethren, or is this flow from this? We have to have reality if we're going to evangelize. Now there's no use in, well, I'm not perfect, so I'm not opening. We'll see why that's wrong. We're going to look at the when. We look at the when here, we'll look at the when in the next passage. How long did they take to evangelize? A couple of years until they had some kind of a theological degree? Proper training? Next day. Day one. So, if you're saved a day, you've been saved long enough to share Christ with somebody. And praise the Lord, he doesn't throw you to holler on the streets of a hostile city out of the gate. Go get someone that you know well and can have a straight heart to heart with. That's the starting place. Isn't the Lord so kind and good? Um, but remember those, we do not well. This is a day of glad tidings that we hold our peace. So do we have friends and acquaintances with whom we have a good relationship that we have not? That are open and interested in the spiritual things, the things of eternal life, that we haven't shared Christ with? That's not good. That should be the first ones we tell. And it's not in a finger wagging, you wicked sinner, you're going to hell. It's a, have I got good news for you. All right? So, share. This is, this is how it is. It's just loving, sharing the things that matter with people who value things that matter. So Philip finds Nathaniel. Um, I don't remember, but, but I don't think they're related as Simon and Andrew are. And uh, Nathaniel's skeptical for good reasons. And Philip says, come and see. He's got the goods. Now Jesus saw Nathaniel coming to him and saith of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no guile. So the word of God speaks to Nathaniel, where he's at. And uh, Nathaniel has an encounter with the Lord himself, and he's convinced. And where I would draw one parallel to this, brethren, is Paul's words to the Corinthians. If there come in to your assembly, one unbelieving and one unlearned, and all prophesy, he will... Fall on his face and worship God and confess that God's in you of a truth. If the word of God so moves in the assembly that a person who is skeptical is confronted with convincing proof that God is speaking to him. That's what will open his heart. Not me trying to wrangle with him or you. Right? He has, he brings him, says come and see. So he's got a spiritual reality. And he's bringing Nathanael. And Nathanael is easily persuaded. Now Nathanael is religious as well. So this is a beginning stage. These are the first people we go to. People of close acquaintance. People of spiritual mindedness. And we share because we've got something real to show. That's our primer. That's evangelism 101. That's the easy start. We all on the same page? We can all see that. All right. Well, we will leapfrog over chapters 2 and 3 because 
Chapter 2 involves Christ showing himself to the servants. Chapter 3 involves Christ um, revealing himself to a theologian. And we'll look at chapter 4. And the Lord has gone off from, uh, <clears throat> from the baptismal area there in Jordan. And he's headed back to Galilee. And he's going through Samaria. Uh, John chapter 4, he cometh to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now, what I propose that we do is we break up into groups, and with this introduction and some examples of how we're looking at the passage, read this passage of Jesus' encounter with this woman and the subsequent you know, city folk and so on, and look at the who. Identify evangelists or evangelists, or should have been evangelists. Identify who were the people that were witnessed to. What was said to them? How was it said? When? What was the occasion? What was the passage of time? Let's, analyze, let's look at all of these questions. Because we've already seen... That after one day of being with Jesus, people are already telling others about Jesus. So, don't anyone think it's some distant time in the future. And it was an easy uh, environment. The Lord's, when we're babes, the Lord treats us like that. You send a babe out to, you know, fight in the jungle. Um, it's with people we have a nice, easy relationship with. That's starting stages, immediate, and with um, people that we know. Here we've, there's been some passage of time, some discipling going on, and there's going to be strangers involved. Are we ready? How are we doing? We've had a good little time to chat. I think we're almost a half hour there. Should We should have got some meat out of that. All right. Who are the, who, who's doing any evangelizing in this section? Easy questions. Nathan, what your group come on, please? Jesus. Anyone else? Storm? The Samaritan woman. Okay. Now, if you're going to classify both of those as Christians on the scale, you know, newborn, babe to fully mature, where would you put the Lord Jesus in on that one? Matthew? Okay, the epitome of maturity. All right, great. How about the Samaritan woman? Where did you put her? All right. These are good things to, to think about, right? Now, let's go with, uh, with who was the first preachy or person being spoken to about eternal life? These are easy questions. Conrad, you want to have a go? Who was the first person in this passage... That someone spoke to about their soul, about eternal life. The Samaritan woman. Great. See how? It's just straight. The Samaritan woman. Okay. Let's look at her. What kind of person was she? Dave, you had some things to say. Might disagree with some of all the answers, but that's all right. What kind of woman was she? What kind of person? Yeah. Okay, 
Yeah, that's good. Good place to start. I'm trying to figure her out. Who has thoughts on, oh, your husband has gone off with your little one again, sister. Uh, who has thoughts on what kind of woman? Would we put her as, all right, let's, let's look at some categories to try and peg her. Um, we've got the uh, unrepentant sinner who loves his sin. Um, find a Bible character like that. Um, Herod, right? Herod wouldn't give up his illegitimate uh, relationship uh, or any of those things. So we have that kind of person in the New Testament. Uh, love their sin, won't give that up for Christ. Um, we have the seeking sinner. Mentioned him this morning, Zacchaeus. We have the seeking religious person. We've seen them already uh, in, in John chapter 1. We've got the person caught in the middle of their sin coming later in John. The woman taken in adultery in the very act, caught red-handed. So there are different kinds of states where people are at. Where's this woman at? Where would we put her? Would we put her like um, Andrew? You know, we found him. We've been disciples of the word, living clean, devout lives. And we found Messiah. Zacchaeus, a sinner tired of his sin. Herod, or the woman taking adultery. The woman taking adultery looks like she gave it up. Herod, not giving it up, both caught in the sin. What kind of person are we dealing with here that the Lord spoke to? Don't all clamor at once, please. You know, can't hear it. Strange mixture of a sinner who knows a little bit of religion, isn't self-righteous about her religion, but isn't super ashamed of her sin. All right? Dave? Okay. Okay, so religious background, sincere religious questions. Anything else to add? I have some things to add, but I want to hear everyone else first. Sometime might re- render mine redundant. No? Okay, so let's look at circumstantial evidence, right? Um, you walk into the room. I'm holding a gun. There's a gunshot hole in the wall. And the gun is smoking. This is circumstantial evidence. It suggests that I just shot that hole in the wall. Right? Circumstantial evidence. You didn't see me do it, but this is where the evidence points. I'm holding a gun like this. Hole in the wall, smoke. You heard a bang, and there's a hole. Fresh hole, drywall everywhere. Weird thing to do, but it's just an illustration that came to mind. Okay, so this woman is there in the heat of the day, alone. Um, Sun's hot. That part of the world. And it's unpleasant when it's hot. So it's a community well. Because Jacob, our father Jacob, gave us this well. So it's not a private well, it's a community well. She's alone. And she knows all the men in the city. 
This suggests, she's coming in the hot part of the day, when no one else goes, suggests to me that she doesn't want to be there with the other women. Either they've cast her out, or she just is too ashamed to be with them. It's a circumstantial. Otherwise, she'd come in the cool of the day, the morning before the sun's hot, and the evening when the sun's going down. She'd want to be, those are better times to be at a well and traveling with a heavy load of water rather than in the hot sun. So she's picking a time where she doesn't have to be with anybody else. So that's one thing we see about her. Uh, This suggests a woman of low moral character, at least with a reputation for it. Why else would all the other women despise you such that you don't want to be with them? That's how it looks to me. Um, Two, she knows all the men. This is not a good look. Three, she's had five husbands, and now she doesn't have a husband. Now, if you want to meet a naive commentator, read Adam Clark, who thinks she has been widowed five times and is now betrothed. And has never done anything improprietous yet. So that's Adam Clark. And I think you are dreaming. But uh, so she's had five husbands. I suspect divorced most of them. If not all of them. And she's now can't marry. So she's living shacked up. That's how it would read in my view. And all of the men are familiar with her. She's comfortable with them. So she lacks at least the appropriate sense of boundaries she's all at least chatty with all the men in the city they all knew her um she didn't go and talk to the women she went and said to the men so the women don't like her and the men do this to me is just not a good scenario for her morals she has religious training or religious education but you could see that people grow up with the bible and they don't live it um Knowing the Lord, it seems to me that his timing was such that she is weary of her lot in life. Her marriages haven't worked out. She's given up on marriage. She's a social outcast, and, uh, but she has religious questions. So that's the kind of person. She's damaged. And to that kind of person, God sends a very, very mature spiritually, spiritually mature evangelist. So that's one thing I would say. So, if we're not that, we shouldn't be looking to try and rescue people. It's like swimming. I read a stumble across recently a couple of blurbs, historical blurbs. One man, you know, like a trolley car went off into the river or into the sea or something. And this man swam there, and I think he rescued 28 people. And I think he had just finished a triathlon or something. And he, uh, he was grieved because there was one person he didn't rescue because in the dark, like he broke the windows and was pulling people out. He spent some time wrestling with a chair. He had grabbed a chair instead of a person. So that's one more person he could have saved. Because I think about 14 drowned. Another man saved 14 people before he in a different accent, before he drowned himself, rescued 14 people. But, you know, probably most of us, a nine-year-old drowning could drown us. It's not easy to save somebody. A weak child can drown you if you're just an average swimmer. Um, And so here, 
the, the new, the, the, the devout, newly saved, sharing with close friends and family. Here, God providentially, like the disciples didn't meet this woman. The ministers didn't meet this woman. They were still young ministers, very young. Not even ministers yet. They're just young disciples. And the Lord himself comes to this woman. There's a comfort in that. That God will provide. Now, we should, we're going to be careful with that. But, um, so, spiritually mature evangelist for this woman. And look how tenderly he treats her. Right? Gently, hey, uh, let's have a look at this area in your life. And she wants to change the subject. Right? I, don't, I don't have a husband. You know? <laughs> let's touch that. She didn't want to tell his story, her story. He said, oh. And the Lord, the Lord knew when to do that. He said, well, you, you told the truth. And he reveals his power, his knowledge. He said, oh, you're a prophet. Let's go here. When she was satisfied, she actually obeyed him. She went and spoke to the men, right? So go call your husband and come hither. She asks for life. And the Lord then says, you've got to straighten this out in your life. This morning we saw Zacchaeus, just by being with Christ, said, Lord, I'm going to straighten this out. Here, when she says, sir, give me this water. Notice he offers her a life, satisfaction, something that will bring her to a place of inward satisfaction. And when she wants that, he says, go call your husband. She tries to dodge that, I don't have a husband. <laughs> well, okay. Yeah, the guy you're with now is not your husband. I'll give you that. But when he has satisfied her religious questions, including a rebuke, you don't know what you're talking about. When she, he knew, he didn't do it to put her down. He did it to keep her on track. She went, she left her water pot and she went to obey the Lord. In fact, she went above and beyond. Now, here you have a sinner going back to their old life and fellow sinners to tell them about Christ. She went and said to the men, I presume many of them were adulterers. They all knew her. She's been through five husbands and she's with a man who's not her husband. He whom thou now hast, to me means not betrothal, but you're with somebody you're not married to. So these men... Uh, were at the very least very inappropriate in their relationship with her. This was her old sinful life. She's gone right back to her pool of sinners and shared a theological discourse proving that Jesus is the Christ. Is that what she did? What kind of message did she share? Testimony. Testimony. That's what we can all do. Now you have to have one to share it. She shared her testimony with a rougher crowd. Still not gangsters, but immoral. First crowd, devout religious people. This is a crowd of your common sinner. Not your gangster, your common sinner. And she simply went and shared her testimony. What was her invitation? Before her testimony, what was the invitation? You can check in the textbook. Come and see. 
That's what they said, chapter 1. We've got to, in all evangelism, we have to have reality. We have to have, people are tired of religion. Except for religious people who are often self-satisfied, self-righteous, proud of their religion. It's a part of their culture. Makes them feel like their insurance policy is tight with God. But real people want something real. And if you're going to evangelize them, if I'm going to, we have to give them something real. We have to have something real. Come and see. That's what he did for me. Come and see. Come and meet this one. Um, a, common, a common modern practice of that, someone goes to a gospel meeting and they get saved. Gloriously saved. And they go to their friends and say, you've got to come to this meeting with me. Let me tell you. Right? So that's a common application. You see, that kind of thing has happened all the time. What happened to you? I got saved. You've got to come and hear this message. And they'll bring a friend, you know, a series of gospel meetings. Those kinds of things happen. And if God will move in revival power, we can have them again. And if we will seek the Lord as we are, he will move in revival power. That's his promise. Seek and you shall find. And imagine, <laughs> uh, let, let me give you a scenario. This is a bit off script maybe, but, well, the whole thing is off script, but. Um, imagine the Lord says, go knock on that door and you'll be let in. And the person goes. Waits five minutes. Walks away. It's not true. Well, that's one response. And this is what a lot of Christians do. If I want to make sure the person's home, my knocks get louder and louder and louder. I'm convinced you're home. If you don't come, you're not hearing me. Now, I'm not going to break the glass on your door. But this is what the Lord means. Right? Now you're looking for like a door knocker so you don't bloody your knuckles or something. You really want to be loud. Your knocking increases. And so, seek and you shall find. It may be that our seeking, although we might feel pretty chuffed, is really not as wholehearted as it should be. Or the answer is on its way. Like the prayer meeting where Peter was knocking on the gate. But we should keep at it, right? Seek until you find. Uh, so, anyhow, we, we digress to there. Um... We can go back to our old social crowd, whether they're saints or sinners, and share a real testimony. How long had she been saved? How long had she had an experience of Christ? To the nearest week. First week, yeah. First day. First hour. <laughs> So, John is big on evangelism. He tells us at the end, this is why he wrote it, but he demonstrates it in real time, it's never too early. The key to evangelism is reality in Christ. And so, if we are lacking in evangelism, before we feel guilted, I ought to be out there, let's make sure, are we having fellowship with Christ? Let's set that right first of all. 
So that we have something to say to them. Come and see. Come and see Christ manifest. Let's ask that question. Today where we don't have Jesus in his flesh. How are the ways Christ is manifest? For someone that wants to come and see. Where could we apply that principle? How and where? What are the options? Where Christ is manifest. I honestly didn't think this was that hard a question. Maybe we're all just tired. I mean, we're not taking Elon Musk's spaceship, you know, to Mars or somewhere. All right, so give a setting. How would we apply that? In our love one for another. So we're going to see, so Christians in community that manifest Christ. That's more than just nice Canadians, right? So the manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit in the lives of the company of believers, and in their interaction one with another. Yeah. All of the fruit should be manifest. So the church then needs to be visibly filled with Christ. The family needs to be visibly filled with Christ. Husband and wife, parents, children, children with their siblings needs to be Christ, not an attempt to keep the Moses' commandments, but Christ within radiating in every interaction. So that's one way, whether come and see the family, whether come and see, you know, just look at how we all interact, you know, in whatever the setting is. What's another way? And I mentioned it earlier. And this we have to aspire to. This is what Paul wrote to the Corinthians. So if they, if there come into your assembly one unbelieving or unlearned, so this would be a seeker who doesn't know anything, he's interested, he should be confronted with God dwelling in you of a truth. In reality, that means that the word of God dwells in us richly and that we are yielded to the spirit of God so that there in real time, God who knows the hearts of all men can uh, have the word of God for one and another and another through however means, whether in the prayer or whether in the, um, the brothers that share, however, and increasingly a word of prophecy, that that person can be confronted with the word of God to such a degree that they're convinced that Jesus has spoken to them. Someone said to me not so long ago that uh, they were in some conundrum in their mind and I think it was just one person's prayer in particular it was a word of God ministered to them set them right just the meeting it's not like these things are not at all in our midst but we certainly need to increase I remember as a young man still in my teens struggling in my mind this is a hard place to get victory my mind and just, I'd been born again by this time, but back into a 
defeated state in my mind. I was sitting there in the meeting. It was people were quietly praying and, and then singing and loving the Lord. And I'm sitting there thinking, it's futile. Who's going to go up into heaven and bring down this life of victory so I can live it? That's so why I'm sitting there thinking those thoughts. And while I'm thinking that very thought in that very moment, a brother stands up and says, I'm just going to share something. Lord spoke to me and he turns to Romans 10. He said, say not in thine heart, who shall go up for us? Right there in real time, God in heaven who knows what this struggling believer is, quickens this one and right there in real time stands up and speaks the word of God. That's powerful, brother. I remember it 40 years later. God can do that here. And so much more. So that's another way it can come and see. The manifestation of Christ in everyone. Everyone come. Remember we said how to come to meeting? Consecrated, prepared, anticipating, praying, ready. Each ember putting together so that it can be the, our God's a consuming fire. Instead of the stumble out of bed and get late to meeting so there's that come and see all right well this is a bit of a primer uh we're not going to finish everything we're over time i'll say this brethren the time to evangelize is when now right and let's each one according to our lot seek the lord look at the it's a shallow we're not separated unto it from the womb like john the baptist and has to go and preach to crowds and deal with hostile people. We don't have to take that upon ourselves. The first place is our sphere of acquaintance. Whether we are filled with close family who are interested in spiritual things. Or whether we had a more common sinning lifestyle. But the people that we knew. Tell them about Christ and what he's done for us. That's the place to start. Jesus' message, that was all over the place. That was a, an exposition of the word. That was an offer of eternal life. That was a prophet, prophetic insight into her actual state. That was everything. She got the, the full monte, as they say. But, uh, but most of the others were just testimony. Here's what Christ did for me. And that's an easy place, probably the best place to start with acquaintances. Here's what Christ did for me. So let us, let us spend time with the Lord and seeking his face and asking him, Lord, I want to testify of you to others. Let's begin. Let's seek him, shall we? For that, that we can be laborers together with God, shepherds together with him, uh, gathering uh, sinners unto repentance. Uh, Nathan, would you like to stand and close in prayer for us?